Um, we're going to be in the book of Mark. Going to finish up chapter 1 and head into chapter 2 today. So Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to start. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Again, if you need a Bible, please take that blue one home with you. We would be so happy, so, so happy uh, for you to do that. Maybe you know somebody who needs a Bible. Take that blue one home. Uh, that would be such a blessing for us to have you take that. Mark chapter 1, we're actually going to start verse 32. Mark is towards the end of the Bible in the New Testament. Um, second book of the New Testament is right here in my Bible. Um, I know your Bible is different than mine, but it's about right there for you. Uh, so we'll be in big number 1, little number 32 in a moment. Let me tell you about one of the happiest days of my life. I'm going to tell you about the reasons I married Mallory. I didn't tell her I was going to say this. Oh, you better hold that all till the end. <laughs> okay, so here, let me tell you about the reasons I married my wonderful wife. It was a, such a happy day. Such a happy day. I, I, I married her because I really like getting dressed up. And our wedding colors, I really liked our wedding colors. I got to wear a tie. I think it was, was it coral? Coral. You know what coral is? Uh, yeah, I didn't either. Cool, but really nice. View. I, I married Mallory. When, I, I married Mallory because I like wearing nice clothes. I got to wear a, co a coral tie. Aww. <laughs> Newlywed down there. He didn't quite know when to on, when not to on, I think yet. Uh, one of the reasons I married Mallory, I married Mallory because we had an awesome cake. It was delicious. I married Mallory because I wanted a piece of that cake. And we even had a groom cake. You've seen that? And they made, they, they made an Arrowhead Stadium. And my in-laws are Dallas Cowboys fans. And so on the scoreboard, guess who the Chiefs were beating? <laughs> Chiefs were beating the Dallas Cowboys. I wanted that cake. That's why I married Mallory. You know what? My dad did the ceremony. He did a fabulous job. Beautiful wedding ser sermon. And I married Mallory because I knew that, it would be, that he would preach us a great sermon. That's the reason I married Mallory. I married Mallory because all our friends and family were there. It was just a fun time. It was a beautiful day for all our friends and family together. That's why I married Mallory. And then I got to take a fun trip after we got married. I married her so that I could take a fun trip. That is the, those are the reasons that I married Mallory. Now, what's going through your minds right now? No, no. <laughs> Don't. That's not the point. What's going through your minds? Ladies, you're thinking, where is the sharpest knife around here? Right? What do you what a jerk? What a jerk. Why? You didn't mention Mallory at all. Well, she was there. Isn't it enough that she was there? And maybe the other thing, the reason I, I, I understand, I wouldn't have had that cake if Mallory wasn't present, but the cake was the reason. What's the problem? All those things are fine, and some of them are even good. But those aren't the reason you marry Mallory. You marry Mallory because you love her. You marry Mallory because God gave her to you as a treasure and as a gift. You marry Mallory for Mallory. 
That's a lot like our relationship to Jesus. In the same way, Mark is going to show us today that we can be near Jesus for the wrong reasons. That we can be near Jesus and totally miss who he really is. So let's read together. Now, I hope you ate your Wheaties today, okay? Um, We're going to read, starting in verse 32, we're going to read a couple paragraphs together and then talk about it, and we're going to read more. But let's unfold this idea that we can be near Jesus for the wrong reasons. So let's start in verse 32. We we did 32 a little bit last week, but it's going to be helpful. Let's start with verse 32. It goes like this. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon... Peter, one of his disciples, and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and they said, everyone is looking for you. What are you doing out here? Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I can preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues. And casting out demons. Okay. So the the picture is this. Jesus, we've got Jesus baptized. He begins to preach. What does he preach? What is his message? His message is the kingdom of God is near. The time is now to be right with God. Repent and believe the good news. What's the good news? That Jesus Christ is coming to bring us the forgiveness of our sins. That's what he's preaching. And he comes and he he preaches these things, and he's also God and he's also merciful. And so they bring him, he does performs miracles, and they bring him sick people, and they bring him people who are possessed by demons, and out of his mercy and his compassion, he's healing these people. And you can imagine what that town was like. I'm sick. I'm going to Jesus. Mom's sick. We're taking her to Jesus. My 16-year-old daughter has a demon. Or she might just be a 16-year-old girl. I don't know, but just in case, I'm taking her. I'm getting some moms out there going, just in case, I'm taking her to Jesus. And we're reading through Mark, and we're saying, wow, the whole town goes out to Jesus. The deacons are thinking, man, we're heading toward a megachurch. We figured the formula out. The crowd is growing. Lots of people are here. And so we, we end that last paragraph with all these people are coming and we're thinking, wow, this is great news. Jesus must be on cloud nine. Everything is working out. And then we see that he gets up early. And early for that time is like 3 a.m., 
right? Before the sun even breaks, Jesus wants to make sure he gets up before anybody else. And the picture is he gets up and he sneaks away and he heads back to where? The wilderness. Desolate place. You'll remember that we talk about how the wilderness has very spiritual significance in Scripture. That's where spiritual things take place. Jesus was baptized. The people of Israel were in the wilderness. All these things. So Jesus arises and he goes to a desolate place. So that should perk our ears up and say, something's happening here. And he goes and he prays. And the image needs to be, wow, we thought Jesus was on a high, but something is going on. Something's going on here. And then Peter, if you've been in church a while, you know that Peter is, you know, he's wonderful. He sticks his foot in his mouth all the time, right? He's the leader with the foot-shaped mouth. Um, and so Peter gets everybody up, and Peter's a go-getter, and he's thinking, man, things are going really well. All this crowd is coming, and I'm his right-hand man, and boy, this is going really, really well. People are coming, loving Jesus. Where is he? The crowd's here. Where did Jesus go? And the original language says it this way, Peter pursued Jesus. And when he finds him, Peter rebukes Jesus. The picture is, where have you been? Don't you know the crowd is over there? Everyone is looking for you. You've been healing people. They want to be healed. They want you to cast out demons. People are here to see you, Jesus. But they are here to see Jesus for the wrong reason. Jesus basically says, I know. I know the crowd is there. We need to go to another town because I came. I came to preach that the kingdom of God is now. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Can you imagine how mind-blowing that is for Peter? What are you talking about, Jesus? You're starting this revolution. You're, you're the Messiah. You're going to kick the Romans out. Anything that he has in his mind, he's thinking, wow, we've got a good foothold on this now. And you want to abandon these people? Yeah. But I've come to preach the good news. And so he goes out, starts preaching in other towns, and then what happens? People keep coming to him for healing and demon and the demon possessed being cast out. And then we have an example of this in verse 40. Are you with me? Little number 40 goes like this. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy came off of him. And he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. But he went out and instead he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus no longer openly could enter a town. 
but was out in the desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. The crowd is there. They're here for healing. They're here for, for physical benefits of being near to Jesus, which is a good thing. That's why they are drawing near to Jesus. And Jesus says, this is not the reason I've come. So Jesus pulls away and begins preaching. And what happens again? Of course, what happens again? He's healing people out of his compassion and his mercy. He's casting out demons. And again, the crowd comes and comes. We see a picture of this. We see a glimpse of this. And the leper comes. And now, when they use the term leprosy, that can mean a whole range of of skin diseases, but skin diseases were rampant, and in that climate, it was very difficult to get rid of skin diseases, and you're very close together, and you don't really know about uh, how, how to sanitize your surroundings, and so what can you imagine you do with somebody who has leprosy? Quarantine. As sad as it is, lepers had to be outside the community. Even more than that, lepers had to grow their hair really long and wear shabby clothing and cover their mouth like this when they talked. Why? So that if they're walking in the crowd for whatever reason, you could know who that is and you could stay away from them. And even beyond that, as they walk through town, they have to call out, unclean, unclean, so that you don't touch them. It's a wretched existence. So this leper comes to Jesus. And he, he, he approaches him and then he, he says, you, I, I, he has faith that Jesus can heal him physically. He says, if you will, I will be healed. How does he know that? Well, he's heard the stories about everyone else being healed. He knows Jesus is his chance to be physically healed. And he approaches him. And Jesus, knowing, knowing everything, knowing what, this, what will happen in his compassion and his pity for this man, he breaks the law. He touches him. It's against the law. But it's one of those laws that you're like, nah, I don't think anybody's really excited to break that law to touch a leper. Jesus reaches out and touches him and he's healed. Out of his compassion, out of his mercy. And Jesus says, sternly, don't tell anyone. Why? Because our hearts are prone to draw near to Jesus for other reasons other than the gospel. So sure enough, the man, and how do we know that the man had faith in Jesus for healing but not for his spiritual healing? Well, Mark wants to show us that this man came to Jesus and Jesus healed him miraculously, changed his life, and then what happens? He goes right out and disobeys Jesus. And the wording there makes me think that it wasn't just a, I'm excited, I got to tell my family, I got to tell, but he freely told people. It's almost like Jesus commanded him to be silent about this, and as soon as he turned the corner, hey, guess what, that guy over there, he healed me, look at my body, I'm, I'm healed. He's just telling everybody. Can you imagine what's going through Jesus' spirit at this point? That, yeah, people are coming. But are people coming drawing to me for the reason that I'm here? 
It says he was in a desolate place. Jesus couldn't even openly enter a town and he would be mobbed. How easy is it to preach in that kind of a condition? You think everybody lined up, single file, took a number, sat in the waiting room? No, how are they going to do it? Well, first over here, you're getting unclean, unclean. you got the lepers coming. And you got somebody carrying a baby, feel his baby. How is he going to preach the gospel? What do we need most? I most don't need to be healed of my physical ailments. I need to be healed of my spiritual disease. People were coming to him from every quarter, so much so that he has to go back into desolate places. And then we pick up the story sometime later. Chapter 2, big number 2. We get a ray of hope. It goes like this. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, uh-oh, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. What's he preaching? The gospel. Mark 1.14 tells us exactly what Jesus preaches. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe for the forgiveness of your sins. Verse 3, And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed in which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, finally, we get this story. He says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes, some of the experts in the law of God were sitting there questioning in their hearts why does this man speak like that he is blaspheming who can forgive sins but god alone and that's kind of the point isn't it and immediately jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves said to them why do you question these things in your heart how freaky would that be you're thinking this thing and jesus points out exactly what's going through your heart That'll get your attention. And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise up and take your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, Take, pick up your bed and go home. Look at the difference between the leper and the paralytic. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. And look at the difference between the crowds. And they were all amazed. We've seen that before. They've been amazed before. They were amazed and what? Glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. So with our final piece of the puzzle, Jesus is re- he's, he's not interested in 
that he understands that the crowd is there for his healing and demon casting out demons. And we see this thing. We see this in the leper, somebody coming to Jesus for the benefit of, of, of physical healing and then disobeying Jesus. And then we have this story. And again, everybody knows that he's in town and he's probably at Peter's house again. And, and everybody hears about it. And so they just, boom, they just crowd in there. And it's so crowded you can't even get through. And we get a sense of of why people are here and kind of their spirit as this poor paralytic guy is being carried on his mat. He probably lived on this mat. He probably begged on this mat. His whole life was on this mat. And he somehow has four friends that carry him by the corners and are carrying him through. Get the crowd. So the crowd is drawing near to Jesus for the wrong reasons. And we see their spirit that they are here to be healed or to see Jesus heal. They are here to see him cast out demons. They're here for the physical benefits. And they see this poor guy who can't even walk being dragged in. And they don't even get out of the way. The crowd is seeking Jesus for selfish, self-satisfying, important reasons. And this is kind of a commercial break for church people, can our physical presence be a barrier between someone and Jesus? Ever hear stories of guests coming into a church and sitting at a pew and, and some wonderful saint coming up to him and goes, Hi, I'm glad you're here. You're in my seat. You ever hear that before? We see, we see this crowd and we're supposed to get a sick feeling about it and our, we can't even let this poor guy in. And, and his friends, the, the man's friends, I mean, can you, can you imagine even the man? What, what is the man like? I mean, that poor guy who's broken body, he has is, he is convinced these guys to take him to see Jesus. Please get me to him. And the friends have faith enough that they, they see the crowd, they don't say, well, we'll wait for him, we'll do this. They go around Palestinian homes at the time had stairwells to the flat roof. And so they went around. They said, we're going to get him there. Takes him up the stairs. And they find about where Jesus would be. And they remove the tiles that were there. They start breaking through the mud and the branches to get this man to Jesus. Can you imagine what's happening? Jesus preaching a sermon. You're packed in shoulder to shoulder. You hear this guy. And all of a sudden the roof starts falling in on you. Mud and branches and leaves and tiles. Who knows? Starts falling in. You're... What is going on? And then this hole comes out, and all of a sudden this man is being, being dropped down in front of Jesus. And we're reading through Mark for the first time. We said, we've seen this before. He healed the leper. That didn't go so great. What's going to happen now? And Jesus sees their faith. And he sees the paralytic. There's something different that we're to take away that the paralytic, he's not there just for the healing of his physical body, but somehow this man who is tied to that mat for his entire life has heard the message that Jesus has come for the forgiveness of sins. And in the, for the first moment in the book of Mark, we see this, we say, wow, somebody finally gets it. Can you imagine the crowd seeing this poor, broken, wretched man 
Having heard about Jesus healing him, what does Jesus say? He doesn't physically heal him. What does he do? Your sins are forgiven. What a sermon illustration. Jesus has been preaching this sermon about, I've come for the forgiveness of sins. The kingdom of God is now. Repent and believe so that you can be forgiven of God and your spiritual disease can be forgiven. It can be healed and wiped clean. And this man descends, and I'm expecting him to heal him physically. And Jesus says, Ow, I see your faith. Your sins are forgiven. And then what do all the church people do? The scribes, experts, experts in the Bible look at Jesus and go, that's blasphemy. We're okay if you cast out demons. We're okay if you heal the sick. But you say their sins are forgiven. Only God can do that. Ultimately going to get Jesus killed. You are claiming to be God. That's blasphemy. So Jesus says, I see what's going on in your heart. He could be just a loon. He could be just some lunatic says your sins are forgiven. And they, they respond to Jesus saying your sins are forgiven. Not in a way that's like, hey, God has forgiven your sins. Feel better. I could say that to you. You come professing Jesus to me. I could say, man, if you profess Jesus, he's your Savior. God has forgiven your sins. Nobody bats an eye. Jesus says, I forgive your sins. That's a different story. So Jesus says, yeah, if you think I'm just a lunatic, words are easy. I'm going to give you two more examples of why I am God. I'm going I'm to tell you exactly what's going on in your heart. Why do you question these things? What's easier to believe? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, pick up your mat and walk and be healed? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because we can't see that. That's between, it's, God, it's a God thing. It's harder to say, be healed. But Jesus says, what's easy? Be healed. And he says, I'm doing this. Why? So that you may know I hold the authority to forgive sins. And we see the fruit of the paralytic's faith. He has faith that Jesus not only can heal him physically, but that he can heal him spiritually. And Jesus forgives his sins. He heals him. And what happens? What is the evidence that we have been forgiven by God that we buy into the gospel? What is the evidence in our life? Obedience. And so Mark puts the leper and he puts the paralytic together for a reason. He gives us a display of someone who drew near to Jesus just for the physical benefits but not the spiritual. And we see the end result of that. Drawing near to Jesus for physical reasons does not transform a life. And we see him right out of the gate disobey the man who had just healed him. But the paralytic comes for, with faith that his, his sins will be forgiven by Jesus. He is forgiven. He is healed. And what do we see out of the paralytic? We see obedience. Works do not save us. Works are evidence that we have been saved. The gospel, our faith in Jesus, is the root of the tree. Our works are the fruit of the tree. That's what John Piper said. So now we have seen this and we've read this together. And our question then is, why do I draw near to Jesus? 
we can be near Jesus and totally miss who he really is if we are near him for the wrong reasons. The crowd was near Jesus for the spectacle or for the physical benefits, and he left early in the morning because they were there for the wrong reason. The leper was near Jesus, was touched by Jesus, was shown his compassion and mercy of Jesus, was healed by Jesus, but the leper left disobedient, and he left in his sins because he missed who Jesus really was. Jesus will say it this way, Matthew 7. He'll say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. We can be close to Jesus and not know Jesus. And boy, this is a sermon for church people. A study was done about our religious actions, why, why we serve Jesus. The question is, is such that why, why, do we draw, why do you draw near to Jesus? A survey was taken, and, and it found these reasons for drawing near to Jesus. Habit, duty or obligation, fear, transactionism, or improving life or self-image. That's the reason that church people in that survey came to church, served, worked in the nursery, drew near to Jesus. Those are the reasons given for drawing near to Jesus. Why do you serve God? Why do you draw near to Jesus? Habit. You draw near to Jesus by habit? Maybe I draw near to Jesus because I've been in church my whole life. Maybe you draw near to Jesus because... You've been going to church for 50 years. Your parents took you there. And you just, maybe, it's, maybe you're like me sometimes. You get in the car on Sunday morning and just automatically drive to church. I'm always in the synagogue. And then this guy Jesus shows up. I draw near to Jesus because of habit. Do you draw near to Jesus out of duty or obligation? I draw near to Jesus because good people are close to Jesus and I'm a good person. People in Arkansas draw near to Jesus and I'm from Arkansas and so I draw near to Jesus. I'm an American. Americans are Christians. Good Americans are Christians, and so I'm going to draw near to Jesus because I'm an American. Obligation. I'm a Hodges, and no self-respecting Hodges would not draw near to Jesus. That's what my family does. Jesus put all this effort into coming down from heaven, and so it's the least I can do. My obligation to draw near to Jesus. I'm a scribe. So my job is to hear these sermons and to inspect these so-called messiahs. It's my obligation. I'm Peter. I said I would follow Jesus. And so I'm going to be near to Jesus. Do you draw near to Jesus out of obligation? Do you draw near to Jesus because of fear? I draw near to Jesus because I believe that He is who He says He is and He might strike me down if I don't go to church every single time the doors are open. And so I am here all the time because I'm afraid of what He might do. 
transactionalism. I draw near to Jesus because when I do, he owes me one. What is that? Prosperity gospel. If I pray the right way, God owes me one. Do you draw near to Jesus because it improves your life or your self-image? That's why the leper drew near to Jesus. I draw near to Jesus because te- Jesus can teach me to be a better husband. I draw near to Jesus because te- Jesus can draw near to Jesus will help me be a better father. I can be a better preacher, brother, church member. If I draw near to Jesus, my life will be less chaotic. I draw near to Jesus because He is the ultimate self-help guru. The leper drew near to Jesus to improve his life. And here's the hard part. A lot of those motives are good things. It's a good thing to spend time with Jesus so much that you develop a habit of it. We want our church family to be so close together and gather so often that when we don't gather together, it throws our whole week off. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to feel a sense of duty to Christ. It's a good thing. Fear? How are you going to do this one, preacher? Fear? What does the Bible say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We don't fear him because we're afraid he's going to do something bad. We understand his holiness and his goodness and his righteousness. A respect of that, a deep respect of that is a good thing. It's the beginning of wisdom. Improving our life. Of course that's a good thing. Jesus' teachings will make our life more joyful. We'll make it more easy. Make our life more joyful. My life will be less chaotic when I follow Jesus because I'm going to tend to sin less, sin less if I obey Jesus. And sin brings chaos. My life will be more satisfying. Yeah, I can draw near to Jesus and my life will improve. But these are not the reasons Jesus came. At best, These are side effects of being near to Jesus. At worst, they can keep us from the kingdom by totally distracting us from why Jesus really came. Why did He come? Jesus came to provide forgiveness of sins. Why wasn't He happy with the whole town coming out to Him to heal people? Because healing people was not the reason He came. Why wasn't he happy to show compassion to that leper like that was the fulfillment of why he was here? Because healing someone, improving their life as wretched as they were, making his life better was not, physically better was not the reason Jesus came. Jesus came to provide forgiveness of sins. When Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, humanity threw themselves out of the kingdom of God through our sin. In His mercy and grace, God the Father sent Jesus 
to willingly bring the kingdom of God back to humanity. And the gates to the kingdom are wide open to all who seek forgiveness of sin, repent, and believe that Jesus' death paid the price for our sins and made us right with God. That is what Jesus preached. That is why he came. If you miss this, you will draw near to Jesus. Maybe like the leper, receive some compassionate side effects of being in his presence. But you will die and go to hell. Oh, how many lost people are in our churches feeling safe because they've drawn near to Jesus for the wrong reasons. Billy Graham said it this way, the largest mission field in America is at church on Sunday. How can that be? Because you could draw near to Jesus for the wrong reasons. And they might even be good-looking reasons, but they're the wrong reasons. This is what he preached. The time is now. Repent and believe the good news for the forgiveness of your sin. Many false religions and beliefs can bring good habits, can improve our lives, can call us to honorable duty. Any other religion can do things like that. Oprah can do that. It is the forgiveness of sins that separates the truth from lies. It is the forgiveness of sins that separates believers from the damned. It is the forgiveness of sins that separates the true church from false churches. It is the forgiveness of sins that separates legalism from grace. It's the forgiveness of sins that separates false teachings from the truth. If we're not preaching the gospel, we're not preaching Jesus. church member came to Martin Luther said, Pastor, why do you preach the gospel all the time? The Old Testament, New Testament, wherever we are, you preach the gospel to us. Martin Luther says, because you'll forget it tomorrow. Why does Jesus then heal these people? Why does he cast out demons? Why does, he, why does your drawing near to Jesus and maybe coming to church, why does that, that do something in our lives, even being near Jesus? Why does, why does he, when you come to church, why does it seem like you're more patient with your wife? Why does it seem like following the teachings of Jesus and commands of Jesus seem to make our lives less chaotic? Why does Jesus do these things if that's not the reason that he has come? Jesus heals the paralytic man. Your sins are forgiven. Oh, blasphemy. Only God can say that. I, so to show you that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, paralytic, stand up and walk. Why does God, why does Jesus in His compassion and mercy give us good things like physical healings when they come, like less chaotic lives when we obey? Why does he do these things out of compassion and mercy? To show us he has the power to forgive sins. Jesus, from his deep compassion for you, might heal you in other ways, might improve your life in other ways, but he does so 
only so that you will get to a place where he has forgiven your sins. All good things that may come from drawing near to Jesus are designed to reveal that Jesus has the power to save sinners. So we mustn't get caught up in the other good things like they are the end result. Jesus come to, came to forgive our sins. Why do we fight this truth? Why is that, my, why does that, why is that so hard for us to grapple with? Why did Jesus have to preach all of these sermons in Mark before we get to a place where somebody understands and believes and is forgiven of their sins? I think one of the reasons that we fight this is because if God the Son had to take on flesh and die on a cross to bring me forgiveness of my sins, my sins are a big deal. We are not sinners with a heart of gold. We are not just unfortunates who got off to a bad start. It's not just how we were raised. It's not boys will be boys. It's not at least we're better than that guy. Our sins are wicked enough to necessitate the precious blood of Jesus being spilled. Our finite sins against an infinitely holy God are infinitely evil. The world will call us, cut yourself some slack. Don't cut yourself some slack, and I'll tell you why. The greater we admit our sins to be, the greater we declare our Savior is. When we admit the wickedness of our sins are deeper than we can imagine. How great must our Savior be? When I diminish my sinfulness, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. I'm saying that Jesus didn't need to be as strong as He really was to pick up my sins. He might have needed to be real strong for yours, but mine are not that big of a deal. We mustn't minimize the impact, intent, or wickedness of our sins. When we do, we minimize the greatness of our Savior. Well, preacher, how can I live my life if I'll just wallow in my sinfulness? If I, if I know how big they are, I'll wallow in my sinfulness. We don't need to wallow in our sinfulness. Not because our sin is not wicked, but because we have Jesus and He has bought our forgiveness. It's taken care of, it's paid for. Don't wallow in your sin, Christian. Jesus has done it. Praise His mercy, we are forgiven. Praise His grace, we are forgiven. Praise His patience, we are forgiven. Praise Him that we never need to wallow in our sins again. We have been totally forgiven. Jesus came. Here's the ways the Bible describes the forgiveness found in Jesus. Jesus is so strong and he's so big and he's so tough and he was able to take your sins and cast them from you as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? It's infinite. Every single sin, Christian, that you have committed, he has separated from you as far as the east is from the west. 
Bible says, though our sin is like scarlet, though we've been stained by our sin and we're just drenched red head to toe, he will make us white as snow. I love how Paul says it this way. For a righteous person, someone might die. If you think someone's a righteous person, you might push them out of traffic. Someone might die for you if you're righteous. But for a good person, Paul says, someone might die. But God displays his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why are you drawing near to Jesus? Why do you come to church? Why do you serve in the nursery? Why do I preach sermons? Do I have some kind of other reason, habit or duty or fear? Are there any other reasons I'm drawing near to Jesus? Are you the leper? who was near Jesus, he liked Jesus, he believed some things about Jesus, but he was near him only for the physical benefits, but not the eternal benefits. And therefore he was left with his physical compassion, but he was still in his sins. Or are you the paralytic? Wretched man or woman, though we are, we have faith that Jesus could heal us both physically, but we understand that Jesus can heal us more importantly spiritually. Do we draw near to Jesus because he forgives us of our sins? Are you the leper? Or are you the paralytic? We're going to do something a little different today. We're going to do something a little different today. Um, during our time of invitation, we're going to ask you to stay seated. Are you the paralytic? Or are you the leper? Why are you drawing near to Jesus? We're going to play a song over the speaker, and we're just going to ask you, would you pray silently? Would you approach God? Would you ask yourself, in your heart of hearts, why you are drawing near to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. You're hearing all this stuff for the first time. Maybe you just showed up to church to see what we're about. Maybe you're drawing near to Jesus out of curiosity. That's a great place to be, but you don't need to end there. My friends, we are calling you to repent, believe the good news of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins today. Don't exit those doors without being made right with God. How do we do that? During this song, talk to God. Don't have some flowery language. He's not expecting perfect, a perfect conversation. If you want to be made right with God, approach him. Ask him to forgive your sins. Confess that Jesus is the Savior and Lord of the world. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian. We need to always examine our hearts. Why are we drawing near? Are we drawing near out of obligation? Sometimes. Are we drawing near out of habit? Sometimes. Is our heart drawing near to Jesus because he has forgiven us of our sins? Is that why we do the things that we do? We're going to play a song. Would you pray during this song? Ask God, where is your heart?